0: ...to be their judge, like a deliverer. And God drove out the Philistines uh, from their cities. And then Scripture says that it didn't really... Rid of their idols. Told them to turn their hearts toward the Lord, which they did, and to serve Him and Him alone. places. And he would return to Ramah for his home was there. And there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Okay? So, Samuel himself, he was not the high priest. In fact, he wasn't officially a priest that we know of, as far as what we could tell from Scripture. He was a prophet through whom God was clearly speaking. And he was a judge through whom God was clearly leading. But Samuel building an altar there would seem maybe a little iffy, because that wasn't his role, right, as a priest. So, uh, at least in accordance with the law. So, how was this okay? How was this okay with suspended a bit, and for pretty good reason. So the ark, if you remember, was stashed in a man's private home. <laughs> uh, the tabernacle, which had been kept at Shiloh, had likely been destroyed, or at least partly damaged beyond use in the previous battles with the Philistines, and so there was no, and there was no real capital or central location for its keeping, right? That hadn't happened yet. And even though the people's hearts here, they're turned back to God, back to the Lord under Samuel, this was still likely a time of great chaos and confusion uh, throughout the, the land. And all of that would, would pretty easily... Chapter 8, when Samuel became old, he made his son. He never corrected his sons. They turned out very wicked and evil. Like uh, Samuel was a godly man, but his kids went astray. Until they have been placed in this position of influence, right? So there was some sort of corruption that occurred. After- I want to share a couple of thoughts on this. This is kind of, uh, is, it's here in the text, it's important and related to the text, but it is something that's a little bit of a, bit of a side note, or a little bit of a, a secondary point of what we're hitting on today. And that's this, the first idea is this, or first thing is this, that as parents, right, if you're a parent, you are called to be godly people and examples for your children. You are called to be godly people and examples for your children. Like, you're called to raise them up to know the Lord. Scripture says if we train our children in the way they should go spiritually, they'll not depart from it. Now, generally, that principle is true. However, there certainly are no guarantees that our kids will grow up to follow Jesus all their lives. There's no guarantees that their hearts won't go astray. Right? Because it's up to them. But, uh, and that's what happens with Samuel's sons. But as parents, I want to encourage you that you are called to be godly people and examples to your children, regardless of how it goes for them. So do everything you can to train them in the way they should go. On top of that, be blameless in your lifestyle. Right? Model Jesus to them. Be a person who is committed to the Word of God, like Bob just mentioned, to prayer, to gathering for worship in your faith community, to giving to the Lord, to serving Him, those sorts of things. Do those things and teach your kids to do the same. Because you can be certain that if you're not committed to those things, they won't be either. Right? Do not ignore all those things and then expect your kids are going to get it. Because they won't. And now for those who, who aren't parents or whose kids are all grown up now, like me, right? Guess what? The same idea still applies. You, and this is the next one, people, to the people, right? You are called to be godly people and examples for everyone, right? Our lives speak to those around us, no matter who it is. And you may truly believe in Jesus, But if you live as though the things we just talked about, right? Serving Him, uh, gathering for worship, prayer, Scripture, giving, that sort of thing. If you live like those things don't matter, people are going to take notice. For example, if you value your career, or your entertainment, or your hobbies, even your family and friends, or material things, if you value them so much that you aren't really engaged in those important spiritual things. And the reality is that whether it's our kids, our friends, our family, even if those around us show a vibrant Christian life, if we're not, it's like in spite of us, not because of us. Right? So don't be someone who looks back and wishes you had done a better job of living a God-honoring life. Don't be hypocritical. Be faithful and consistent in honoring the Lord and following Him. Do everything you can to make that your goal now. Parents, if if you want your kids or all of us, if we want the people around us to be godly people, then we need to be godly people. You want your kids or others to walk closely with God, then you need to walk closely with God. You want your kids and others to point or lead people toward Jesus? Well, you need to be pointing or leading people to Jesus. You want your kids or others to be faithful to the Lord? You have to be faithful to the Lord. Show them what it looks like. And then you trust God to work in their lives. Certainly be praying for them. But you trust God to work in their lives. Because we can't control what our kids or other people are going to do, even when we do everything right. Now, Eli, he was not a great example, right? If you remember, he did some things really, really wrong. The end result was that his kids were wicked and evil. They dishonored God, his word, so badly that God determined to end their very lives. That's pretty bad. And by the way, the whole nation followed Eli's lead. They did whatever was right in their own eyes. And God held Eli accountable for that. He'll hold us accountable too. Samuel, on the other hand, in all likelihood, did what was right in God's eyes. As we said, he he was clearly a godly man, but his son still went astray. God never, yet in this scenario, God never holds him accountable for it, like he did Eli. Their sin was on them. Not on him. He did his part. We need to do our part to follow and serve the Lord. Like, look, you're, you're called to be godly people and examples to everyone, right? That's true for all of us. Okay, so bringing it back into the scripture, here's why that's so important in regards to his kids. Verse four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, "Behold, you are old," which, by the way, that's not a nice way to put it. <laughs> But they're saying, look, you're getting older, you're not going to live forever, right? You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Okay, so the people demand a king so that they can, what? Be like the other nations. That's what they want. They want to be like the other nations. Now they kind of use Samuel's kids as an excuse. Oh, your sons don't walk like you do, but give us a king so that We can be like everybody else. Look, if if it was really because Samuel's kids were not all that godly, they could have gone another route. They could have just asked for another more godly judge, like Samuel. But instead, they say they want a king so they can be like all the other nations. Here's the problem with that. These are God's people. They're not supposed to be like all the other nations. They're supposed to follow God. They're just using Samuel's wayward sons as an excuse to get what they want. Verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So interestingly, there were two times earlier Uh, prior to us getting into the book of Samuel, that they tried making someone king over them during the time of judges. Gideon was a judge that led people to victory. You may be familiar with his story. Well, they tried to make him king, and he declined. And he said this, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son, but the Lord will rule over you. Gideon was certainly not perfect in any way, if you read his story, but that's a wise thing to say. I'm not going to rule over you, Nor shall my son, but the Lord himself. He will rule over you. The second time someone tried to be king, well, it was Gideon's son. And he tried to force his way in. He tried to make himself king after Gideon's death, but he was killed shortly thereafter. So they were unsuccessful at installing a king to lead them. But they tried. In different ways. And here, again, they're calling for a king again. And in doing so, they're, again, they're rejecting God's appointed leader, Samuel. But ultimately, they're really rejecting God himself. Right? That's what God said. They're rejecting me as their ruler. And God points out, look, this wasn't anything new. This has been going on for centuries, Right? It's what they've been doing since they left Egypt hundreds of years earlier. And so God says, okay, Samuel, let's give them what they want. But warn them first. Warn them first. And here's what he says. Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. So that we may also be like all the nations. That our king may judge us and go up before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So Samuel warns them like God told him to. He tells them about all the things the king's going to do that's going to be a problem for them. And he furthermore says, look, when you're done, when all this has happened, you're going to cry out to God and he isn't going to change anything. Once we have a king, we're going to keep a king. And they say, we don't care. We want the king. So God says, all right, give him a king. And then God selects one to rule over them. And when he does... He doesn't just give them any king. He gives them one who epitomizes everything that they would be looking for in a king. He gives them Saul. Now, uh, we'll get into Saul's story of becoming king more detailed next week. But in chapter 9, we get the run-up to that happening, right? We get the run-up. So we're going to look at that uh, next, all right? So 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechara, son of Ephiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Right? Get in the picture? Right. Here is Saul. Right, who is the stereotypical picture of everything a king should be. He's a mighty man of power. He's strong. He's wealthy. He's handsome. I mean, it's something when the Word of God tells you he was more handsome than anybody else. Like, you know, I never read that about me anywhere, much less in the Word of God. So, you know, that is quite a statement. And he was notably tall, right? He towered above the people. He stood out. Verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zeph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant of Saul answered again. The servant answered Saul again. Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, "Well said. Come, let us go." So they went to the city where the man of God was. Right, a couple of things here about Saul. First of all, he appears to have some character about him, right? Like his father wants him to go find the donkeys, and he does what his father asks and goes well above and beyond. Right? He travels from land to land, like through areas of tribes, looking for these donkeys. Like, he wants to serve his father. He wants to serve his family. That's noble. That's honorable. There's some character and commitment being shown there, at least at the start. Plus, he's also following the customs of the day, right? He wants to bring a payment to the prophet because so many of the so-called seers made their living kind of as fortune tellers, right? So there's a little bit of character and that being shown here. Verse 11, it says, "...and they went up to the hill..." to the city, they they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now, a little side note, another display of character here. Saul stops and asks for directions. That's a big deal for a man, right? And he asks it of a woman, no less. You know, you can read into that how you want. But that was not so usual in his day. So verse 15, now Saul. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall appoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Okay. So Samuel was the prophet, right? Spoke the words of the Lord. When Samuel was younger, it said everyone in the nation knew this. And all of his words came true. But notice that in this story so far, Saul doesn't ask for Samuel by name. It's like he doesn't realize that this is Samuel. He might not even know exactly who Samuel is or what he's about. In fact, it takes his servant to mention to him, hey, we should go see this prophet. Now it's understandable he wouldn't recognize Samuel. It's not like they had internet or newspapers going around with pictures of Samuel all over it in those days. But you would think if he knew who Samuel was, he probably would have asked for him by name. Hey, where's the prophet Samuel? The godly one, the one who knows these things. So it kind of seems like Saul really doesn't know who Samuel is. So that says something else about his character and nature. And the condition of the people. Because Samuel earlier was said to have been known to share the word of God. None of his words fell short. Right? He was a prophet, and everyone in the land knew it. And now here he is speaking to Saul, and Saul doesn't realize it. Right? So that's a little bit telling. Samuel, on the other hand, he knew Saul was coming. Right? God had told him. So verse 19, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today sh- you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost 3 days ago, do not set your mind on them for they have been found. And for whom is all and for whom is all that is de- desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? Now, it's interesting because if you kind of track this out, some of the scholars will say that Samuel traveled about 35 miles looking for these donkeys. Right? If you trace his path, he traveled about 35 miles overall. Seems excessive. Especially, you know, unreasonably even, especially for a family who supposedly was wealthy, right? These had to be either some really special donkeys, or there were a whole lot of them that were missing, right? 35 miles to go find these donkeys. But his wandering leads him to Samuel, who is going to anoint him as a sign that he will be king. Right? This is not some coincidence. This was all happening according to God's will for this specific encounter to take place. And to prove to Saul, prove it to Saul, he's, he's like, look, I know what you came here for. Your donkeys are fine. <laughs> Your donkeys are fine. He doesn't ask him about the donkeys. He doesn't even get a chance. And Samuel just says, your donkeys are fine. Right? That might catch someone off guard, but look, he's a prophet. <laughs> Verse 22, Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it, and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Right, so what you see here is Saul's given, being given this place of honor, right in the home of a prophet. Right, that's really quite something for someone who certainly never expected it, when he went looking for some donkeys. Verse twenty-six. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul in the roof, "Up, that I may send you on your way." So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass before us. And when he had passed on, Stop here, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Okay. And we're going to stop here in the text. So God had this plan, right? This plan to make Saul the first king. Of Israel. It wasn't something Saul sought out. It wasn't something he had to fight for or earn. It wasn't because of his lineage or pri- privilege, right? We've already, he already said that. I'm of the least cl- tribe and the least clan in the tribe. It was just that Saul was the person God chose for this. And there were reasons for this. But the bottom line is the people were insistent on having a king. Despite God's warnings through Samuel of what was to come for them. They didn't want to follow God's lead. Their motives were all out of whack. They didn't want another judge who spoke for God and represented his heart well like Samuel did. They wanted a king like everyone else. Despite the fact that God's people are called to be different than everyone else. Like Israel had once again rejected God. So God's going to give him an earthly king. Again, we'll get more into the details next week, but Saul pretty much fit every earthly ideal of what a king should be. He was exactly who Israel was asking for. But none of this, none of this that's unfolding is what God really wanted in place for Israel in the first place. I think that's important to see. Installing a king, that wasn't God's desire. He wanted them to follow him. He wanted them to, be, to let him be their ruler. He wanted them to make him their king. God their king. He wanted them to stand apart as his people among all the nations. But they wanted to be like everybody else. Now listen, for us as Christ followers... We are not supposed to look like everybody else. We're not supposed to live like everybody else. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to look like Jesus. And we're supposed to live like Jesus. And we're supposed to be like Jesus. In other words, Jesus is supposed to be our king. He's supposed to be our king. Here's our key idea that I hope in the throes of this passage that we walk away from this morning. It's this if we believe Jesus is Lord, if we say that that's true, then he should have the final word and be our ultimate authority. Right? If we believe Jesus is Lord, he should have the final word and be our ultimate authority. Now, like I realize that there's people around us in high or powerful leadership positions in our lives. right? We know that. It's in our communities, in our workplaces, in our government, in our world. But ultimately, they're not who we follow. They're not who we worship. And they're not the ones we're supposed to serve. God is. He is our king. Regardless of who our earthly ruler or worldly authority is, if we believe Jesus is Lord... He should have the final word and be our ultimate authority. But it's important for us to be discerning about our own hearts. Like, we need to be critical of what it is we want. Is it really in line with God's heart? They wanted a king because they had rejected God. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted to be like everyone else. But that's not God's desire for them. It's not His desire for us. So how about us? Do We want Jesus as our king. Or are we just trying to look like, live like, and be like everybody else? That's a question I hope that you walk away with this morning and wrestle with a little bit. Do we want Jesus as our king, or are we just trying to look like, live like, and be like everybody else? Because that's not God's heart for us. If we believe Jesus is Lord, he should have the final word and be our ultimate authority. Now, Again, we'll continue in this story. There's so much more to it. It kind of unravels and continues on. And so we'll dive into uh, the next part of what happens with Saul and Samuel. As they transition here from a judge and a prophet uh, kind of leading the people, going to the first king of Israel. And it's going to start a whole new era and direction in the history of, of God's people of Israel, right? And we'll get there next week. But for today, let's walk away with this. If we believe Jesus is Lord, if we truly do believe that, then let's let him have the final word and be our ultimate authority. Let's let him be our king. Worship team, if you want to come back up, we're going to close in prayer. Father God, we know that um, there are so many things in this world that are easy to be caught up in, that we can easily chase after, that can distract us, Uh, just like what happened with Samuel's kids and can pull us away. We know it's really easy for us at times to be like the people of Israel who just want their own way. They want to be like everybody else. They want to have what they have, do what they do, live like they live, look like they look like and be like them, but that's not your heart for us as followers of your son Jesus. Your heart for us is that we would let you rule our lives. That you would have the final word, that you would be the ultimate authority. Ultimately, that you would truly be king in our lives. And God, as we take this moment here to worship, as we take this Next few moments to sing to you, we pray that these songs would be a reflection of our desire to do that. And Lord, where we fall short in allowing you to be our king, because we all do, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. We lay that before you. We lay those things before you and ask for your forgiveness. We we know that you will give it to us when we ask. We're so grateful for that. But we want to surrender our hearts to you to allow you to be king in our lives. And let that be the prayer of our heart as we sing and worship you in these next few moments. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Join us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.